I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. And welcome to another wonderful day in the Lord's neighborhood. Here's my coffee. And I am Paige, your caffeine-enabled host. Today we're going to be taking our jaunt into uh, Judges, the second chapter. And uh, please remember that uh, even though I'm putting this out as a podcast, I'm glad people are listening to it. Really, it's it's not about you. It's about me. I've discovered that when I regularly ingest the Bible on a daily basis, my life changes. And sometimes it's an, it's an imme- unmeasurable thing or immeasurable thing. But I know that my life is better off when I'm in his word on a daily basis. Um when we were studying the tabernacle and Moses and all that, we discovered that the uh, that the laver, the bronze laver made of mirrors that they took out of Egypt, filled with water that the priest washed his hands and feet in before ministering it to the non-believers or non-priests and before ministering to the Lord. That was representative of the word. The word of God is, a, is like a mirror. It reflects us to us and it cleanses us. As we walk through this world, we will get dirty. We need to cleanse and bathe regularly. Think of it as spiritual hygiene. So if if you get anything from what I share, I'm blessed beyond measure. But please know that it's a little selfish for me. I'm doing this because I need this. Now, the book of Judges comes with a hook like a song, a theme that keeps coming back. Uh, A hook in a song is um, that one part of the song that that sticks in your mind. Uh, Tina Turner just passed away. Uh, She was probably part of the soundtrack of my youth. I loved Tina Turner, her proud Mary. She She had a song, What's Love Got to Do With It? What's love got to do with it? That's the hook of the song. That's the part of the song you remember. Well, the hook for me, for Judges, is this phrase. Judges, it's the story of my life. It's a story of a people chosen by God who continue to sin. Page, chosen by God, who continues to sin. Judges, a story about a people who are chosen by God, continue to sin, but come back to him again and again and he delivers them again and again. He doesn't deliver them because they are of any intrinsic value. He delivers them because of his promise, his word. He told them 
he would, and therefore he does. They are his chosen people. So when we read about uh, Israel being God's chosen people, the question comes up, they're chosen for what? Well, on one hand, to be a backdrop for his glory, but also, uh, since we're on this side of history, thousands, several thousand years past the events that we're going to read about, we can see that God chose Israel to preserve his words. And he chose Israel because he was going to produce a Messiah who would take upon himself the sins of the whole world. And it would make sense that this Messiah would be representative of the whole world. And in fact, it's true. We find we found in the uh, reading through Genesis through Joshua that um, there are Gentiles that ended up being in Jesus's blood. So Jesus represents Gentile and Jew. He didn't choose Israel because they were morally superior to anything else that was going on around them. They weren't. Why he chose them specifically, I really don't know. But then again, I don't know why he chose me specifically. I am beginning to see a pattern emerge. You know, I'm 67 years old. I'm finally catching up with some of this stuff. Um, my thoughts are that God is reestablishing the Garwood name in his kingdom. Um, for years and years and years and years, I was the only Christian in my family. And raising two godly children was very important to me. And it's funny, God brought my family back to the part of Georgia where I live now, where my, the branch of my, my branch of the family started its journeys westward. Our family came over from England, um, 1600s, late 1600s, and a bunch of them settled in New Jersey and another branch of the family, my branch, moved to the south, to Georgia, this tri-state area, Georgia, South Carolina, uh, Tennessee, that kind of thing. And we, but my branch of family settled in Georgia, pretty much where I'm living now, and went, moved to all points west from here. This is where we launched our western migration ending up generations later in Alaska with my mom and dad, where I was born. I'm raised, I become an adult, I join the Navy, I travel all over the place in the Navy, and I end up in South Carolina, and I get out of the Navy in South Carolina, move back to Georgia without knowing that this is where it all began, and I settled down in Conyers, and that's what my mom told me, she said, well, you know, you're living right where it all began for us. And I began to see a pattern, I began to see a, a shadow of a purpose. You know, I I discussed with God for years and years and years, what is my place in the body of Christ? What am I supposed to do? What is my purpose? And I thought I was going to be a preacher or a worship pastor because I'm a musician. I'm, I'm a skilled musician. I do like to speak. I love to study. I love to teach. So I thought I was going to be a pastor or something. But God said, no, you are going to be a husband, a father, and a friend. He said, that's your ministry. And part of me was a little disappointed in that because there's, there's no glory there, is there? I've learned that there's plenty of glory there. And my most important thing that I've ever done is raise two children who honor God with their lives. <laughs> so... Why did God choose Israel? 
they might have thought it was because he thought they were something special as a people and they, they were going to be conquerors and a powerful a powerful nation. And at times they became that. But the truth is, his purpose, at least from my perspective, is to produce a Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. And what happened between the time of Abraham and the time of Judges is laying the foundation for a nation that would produce a Messiah that would take away the sins of the world. That's the purpose. So in between Abraham and the birth of Messiah, there's lots of things that happen. And that's what we're going to get into, to this chosen people. Hmm. So let's take a look at chapter two. Now, chapter two is uh, previews of a coming attraction. It's a summary of what happened before this point in time and what's going to be coming in the succeeding chapters of Joshua. We're going to find out that Israel is a stubborn people, slow to change. Remember, this is my story, my story. So let's take a look at it. Chapter two. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I've also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord has spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud and they called that place Bochim. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Now, doesn't that seem kind of harsh? He brings him to the promised land and he says, I'm not going to drive out these people before you. They're going to become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. Paige, are you saying that God, that God caused this to happen? I don't know if caused is the right word, but allowed it to happen isn't really a strong enough word. So maybe I'll go with this. He definitely says, I'm not going to drive them out. They'll become traps for you. Those of you who are parents, have you ever had your child ask you for something again and again and again, and you keep saying, no, 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 no. And finally said, you know what? I'm going to give you what you want. I've told you what's going to happen. It's time for you to live with the consequences of your decisions. And they get what they want. And it turned out exactly like you said it would. And exactly like they didn't want it to. When I was um, laid off from my job, I had a six-figure salary, took my life savings, and I opened up a video production company with a friend of mine. I didn't ask God about it. I didn't pray about it. Um, I was doing what I thought was best, but I didn't talk to God about it. That's very important. Within six months, I was totally, completely bankrupt. I had lost everything. I almost lost the house. We able to we were able to hang on to the house long enough to sell it to pay off the bankruptcy. Um, and during this time, I would have people come up and say, "Paige, we're praying for you that the enemy." would quit messing with you. 
that he would quit having his way with your money, etc. They do stuff like that. They were, they were very kind. And I had to correct, I corrected everyone that said that. I said, this is not Satan's fault. This is my fault. God had showed me that I was incredibly foolish with money. And the first chance I had to make some real money, I blew it. I blew all the money. I didn't put aside for savings. I didn't set us up to weather a storm like what was coming when I got laid off. I had to tell him, look, this is not the enemy's fault. It is my fault. I was stupid with money. And if you sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. That's a biblical truth. Well, you might say, you know, Satan is getting ready to mess with Israel. I'm not sure. I'm sure that's true. He's always ready to mess with God's people. But here, God is telling them, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drive them out before you. They will become traps for you. Their gods will become snares to you. God's telling them what's going to happen. And you could say he is the author of this trouble. What parent isn't the author of some of their children's troubles? In the sense that if they're not going to listen to reason, if they're not going to listen to logic, if they're not going to listen to your experience, then they need to experience for themselves. And sometimes you take your hands off and let happen what's going to happen. Um... So yes, sometimes God is the author of the trouble that's in your life. And you need you need to go to God when you're if you're experiencing things, you need to go to him and say, God, where's this coming from? Is it the enemy of my soul that's messing with me? Is it you trying to teach me something? What? David, when he was um committed his uh adultery with Bathsheba, she became pregnant. Uh, he had her son. Her, he, had, he had her husband killed, and she became his wife. She was pregnant. She gave birth to a son, and the prophet Nathan came to him and told him a parable. And the point of the parable was was that David was stealing another man's wife, and that the child conceived through that was going to die. And it was very much a God moment, not the kind of God moment that people would hope for, but David's son through Bathsheba did die. See, sometimes God does visit us with troubles, but his purpose for these troubles is not to destroy us as his child but to destroy a bastion of rebellion that's in our life. An area of, in our life where we're not giving in to him. God loves us too much to not correct us. That's what he's telling Israel here. I'm not going to drive them out before you. They're going to become traps for you. Their gods will become snares to you. Now, the second half of this introduction. This is an introduction, by the way, to Judges. It's a preliminary survey of what's going to happen from Judges 3 on, showing that Israel's first centuries in the Promised Land are a recurring cycle of apostasy, oppression, cries of distress, and gracious deliverance. 
the author reminds the Israelites that they will enjoy God's promised rest in the promised land only when they're loyal to him and his covenant. All right. The purest joy springs from a foundation of obedience. Do we obey God in order to be happy? Yeah, I would say somewhat, there's some truth to that. Um, but obedience and joy are linked together. So you'd have to think that disobedience and not joy are linked together. Do you obey God in order to be saved? No. You're saved because, like Israel, you're a chosen people. God chose you. He has a purpose and a plan. And out of the out of the foundation of his choosing comes your obedience. Maybe that'll make sense as we go on. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each of their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done in Israel. These elders were the ones who had walked through the wilderness, seen the manna, seen God do all these miraculous things. They saw the Jordan River backed up so they could cross over. They were the children of those people, these elders, were the children of the people who saw God's deliverance out of Egypt. Some of these children, elders, probably remember that as a child as well. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, whole after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They, roused, they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Now, this is a compressed time frame. This is talking about centuries but this is previews of a coming attraction then the lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders yet they would not listen to their judges but prostituted themselves to the other gods and worshiped them they quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the lord's commands whenever the lord raised up a judge among them for them he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Again, God's 
stated his purpose here. He's leaving these other nations around to test them, to be a test. It would take God multiple, multiple, multiple generations before Israel would become a cohesive nation that followed Jehovah. It would take multiple defeats, military defeats, multiple captivities before Israel became a true nation carrying the banner of God as their God. But again, God is doing, God is purifying this people, believe it or not. He is changing them, believe it or not. And he's going to transform this nation, this group of people into a nation that would be associated with Jehovah. As imperfectly as they did it, that is indeed what happened. By the time of Jesus, everybody knew about Israel and their God and their worship of their God. They had a beautiful temple. It was imperfect, yes. But out of that imperfection came Messiah. Out of that imperfection came 12 disciples who became the foundation of the first century Christian church. Out of that imperfection came Mary, Joseph. There was a remnant within Israel that truly reflected the glory of the God who had called them. So I take great comfort in that because I know me. I am not perfect. I am so not, I, I don't even claim to be even close to perfect. I am a mess. As some of the, my dear friends here and the lady friends here in the South say, you're a hot mess. That's me. I'm a hot mess. And Yet, God has a purpose for me. Israel's a hot mess. And yet, God has a purpose for them. Now, these people at this point, they don't know what that is. They're just living their life in rebellion against God. But God is, has chosen them, and he will not let them off easy. <laughs> he is going to mold them into his image. He will, and he does. Out of this nation of Israel come godly prophets, judges, and eventually the parents of Messiah. Huh. Why did God choose you? He did. That's all I have. Why did he choose you? I believe he chose Israel so that they would preserve his words and present his name among the nations. I think that's probably why he chose me. That I would be part and parcel of saving, preserving his word in my family and that I would be part and parcel of proclaiming his name in my family. I want my grandchildren to see a grandfather, Bapa, that's my name. I want them to see their Bapa as a man who loved God, who they can look to as an example of what that looks like. I'm raising up the name of God in the Garwood family for the first time in generations. That's kind of what's happening here with Israel. So starting tomorrow, we're going to be looking at uh, Joshua chapter 3. And we will uh, start breaking this story down and start seeing what God does with all these judges. All right, folks, that's enough for me.
Here's my coffee. Mm. Lord knows I love coffee. I'm out of here, folks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.